Hi, this is Dr. Karen Horton from Johns Hopkins. We're going to continue with our series on pulmonary embolism. This is part three. We're going to talk about CT findings. So what do you look for when you're looking at a CT angiogram for pulmonary embolism? Well, the most obvious is you're going to look for a filling defect or clot within the opacified pulmonary arteries. You can also look at a vessel cutoff. So you might see an opacified vessel that just abruptly ends because there's occlusive thrombus. Typically then, you will also see the thrombus in the vessels. You can look at the rim sign, which is contrast around the outside of a clot. Remember that pulmonary emboli are typically multiple, so there's more than one in most cases, more common in the lower lobes. And then you can also look for indirect signs as associated oligemia, so decreased blood flow to the segment that's affected. Here's a nice example of a saddle pulmonary embolism. So you see the low density thrombus crossing over the bifurcation of the pulmonary artery. You can see it's often tubular, the central pulmonary emboli, and you can just see that it's very likely came from a vein in the legs, right? You can see the long tubular filling defect. It's a different patient. We have an axial and a coronal reformation showing the clot in both main pulmonary arteries extending into the lower lobe branches. This is a coronal of the same patient, coronal reformation showing almost occlusive thrombus on the right lower lobe pulmonary artery and extensive almost occlusive thrombus in the left lower lobe pulmonary artery branch. Here's another patient, a couple axial images showing some central pulmonary emboli in the left main and left lower lobe branches. Here's a coronal on the same patient, just showing the vessels more centrally, and you can see a thrombus headed up to the right upper lobe branch. Here's some axial images from a patient, again, relatively central in these cases. You can see in the left main pulmonary artery going down to the left lower lobe branches, and you can see the right lower lobe branches also contain thrombus. These are coronal images from a patient with central pulmonary emboli, bilaterally significant amount of thrombus and clot burden. This one's a little bit more subtle. These are axial images at the level of the right pulmonary artery and then some lower lobe pulmonary arteries. You see a subtle filling defect in the left main pulmonary artery and the left lower lobe pulmonary artery. This is a very subtle one, left lower lobe. You can see how there's a small filling def defect in those branches to the left lower lobe. So those are small distal emboli. And this is coronal images on the same patient. You get a better feel for these small emboli in these very small vessels. So sometimes using uh, different reformations is helpful, especially coronal. If you have axial images, you may not appreciate that uh, there's a clot in a vessel where when you lay it out in the appropriate plane, especially coronal or sometimes sagittal, it may be more helpful. Here's a patient that had a central line injection. So it's a terrible injection, not good opacification, but you still see the thrombus in the right lower lobe pulmonary arteries. This is an unfortunate patient, status post left, I'm um, sorry, status post right pneumonectomy. You can see the heart and everything is shifted over to the right side, and you can see a lot of thrombus in the left pulmonary artery. Always, if you find a pulmonary embolism, look around for the possible source. Now, most of the time, it's going to come from the deep veins of the pelvis or the legs, but it could come from other sources. In this case, the pulmonary embolism was caused by this large amount of thrombus in the superior vena cava along the central line. Other things besides clots can embolize. In this case, it's a piece of a catheter which broke off and embolized into the right pulmonary artery. 
There are some secondary findings which are important to note. Is there infarct? So if you have infarct in the lung, you'll see infiltrate in the lung, often wedge-shaped peripheral associated hemorrhage. You could have oligemia or hypoperfusion of the areas that are affected. You could have a mosaic pattern, especially over time after multiple PEs. You can have alterations in the normal blood flow to the lungs. Then you can have nonspecific things like atelectasis, pleural effusion, etc. So here's a patient with pulmonary embolism. You can see a moderate amount of thrombus in the right main pulmonary artery and branches. Patient also has a pericardial effusion. This is an axial and a coronal image, again, showing the thrombus and a few additional small emboli on the left. And this patient also had a left upper lobe infiltrate. In this case, it's most likely going to be an infarct. Another patient, main uh, thrombus in the left main pulmonary artery and its branches. There's some on the right as well, but most of the thrombus burden in this patient's on the left. And there's an associated wedge-shaped area of infiltrate in the left lung, which is thought to represent an infarct. Also, when you're doing your CT and you find a pulmonary embolism, you should take a quick look at the heart and remember that quantitative cardiac measurements on the axial images have been shown to correlate with the severity of the PE or with fatal outcome. So it's very important. So for instance, if you measure the right ventricular short axis and make a little ratio of right ventricle to left ventricle, it's very important. So in two studies, here's a uh, study of 25 patients and 14 patients, what they showed was that this ratio, right ventricle to left ventricle, if the ratio is greater than one or there's left septal bowing, so in either case, that would mean that the right ventricle is dilated. So that was important and it had sens high sensitivity and specificity compared with echo showing right heart strain. So if the ratio of right ventricle over left ventricle is more than 1.5, so that's even more, and the patient has a PE, then it's very important that patient has a high risk of admission to the ICU, higher mortality rate, and higher chance of complication. So here's a patient with pulmonary embolism, and you can see right and left pulmonary emboli and its branches. And in this patient, you can see the right ventricle is dilated compared to the left ventricle. So that would be a ratio, high ratio greater than one. That would suggest there's right heart strain. So in your report, you say there's bilateral pulmonary embolism and right heart dilatation suggesting right heart strain. So they know they have to treat this patient more aggressively. Some people argue that maybe just looking at the axial images may not be enough, that maybe you should use multiplanar reconstructions using the four chamber view may be more accurate, but I have to say that's a lot of trouble to go to, especially in all the cases with pulmonary embolism. I think in my opinion, just look at the axial images and that gives you a good idea whether the heart is dilated or not. In that study, looking at the four chamber view, they thought that they had a little bit higher sensitivity and specificity um, using the four chamber view. And then some people argue that maybe it's better to get a volume, but that's a lot of work to do in these routine cases. So remember that it's not only the right heart. You might get an idea that you have right heart strain going on by looking at the superior vena cava, for example, or looking at the azagous size. So basically, if there's right heart strain, right heart failure, these vessels and structures will also become dilated. So you want to take a quick look there, too. There are some pitfalls. The biggest pitfall is if you have poor contrast bolus, you better be careful. You might overlook a pulmonary embolism or you might overcall a pulmonary embolism, especially if you have mixing of opacified and unopacified blood. Motion is very difficult. Motion causes partial voluming and blurring of structures, and you might think there's an embolism there when it's not. Small nodes centrally can be mistaken for pulmonary emboli. 
don't want to confuse the pulmonary veins with the pulmonary arteries. So now that we can all scroll, it's very easy. If you see what you think is a thrombus in a pulmonary artery, you want to trace it back and make sure that it definitely is a pulmonary artery and doesn't represent a pulmonary vein or maybe mucus plugging in a bronchus. So here's a study that we did that was bad, I would say. We started off, we were doing um, uh, a fixed delay, 20 seconds. Here you can see the topogram, pretty large patient. You can see the contrast coming back. So the contrast is still within the left subclavian vein coming back to the heart. And you can see the study is horrible. There's some contrast in the aorta, but very little in the pulmonary artery. And when you look at the coronal view of that patient, I think you can see what's happening. If a patient valsalvas while they're holding their breath, you get a very rapid influx of unopacified blood back into the heart. Here you can see it's coming up from the inferior vena cava and coming from the right arm. And that will mix with your contrast and will, will decrease your opacification of your pulmonary artery. So it's important to remind patients not to take, uh, when they take a deep breath, not to valsalva. Sometimes your timing is just off, in this case due to technical reasons, and we had to inject, hand inject through a central line. It was a very light study, but you can still see the emboli in the right lower lobe. In this case, we're also late, and these are the ones you have to worry about. If you're really late and you don't see a pulmonary embolism, you can't exclude it based on the study. You may need to recommend another study like a VQ scan. This was a patient where we were doing a cardiac study with a flush. So we were not looking for a pulmonary embolism. But the radiologists who were reviewing the study thought that there were filling defects in the left main and left lower lobe pulmonary arteries. But that's not filling defects. That's basically mixing of our saline flush with the contrast. So, of course, for a pulmonary embolism study, most of the time you're not going to do a flush. Or if you do a flush, you better be very careful of your timing because you don't want that unopacified saline getting into the pulmonary arteries. So in that patient, you can see it's not a pulmonary embolism. It's just our unopacified saline flush then mixing with the contrast that was in the pulmonary arteries. How good is CT looking for chronic PE? Well, you know, it can be a challenge. What you're going to look for usually is non-obstructive linear filling defects. So you might see little webs or bands within the pulmonary arteries, thickening of the wall of the pulmonary arteries or calcification of the wall. You may see areas of stenosis and post-stenotic dilatation or just really beaded or tortuous looking vessels. Um, and then over time, if there's chronic PE, you may get pulmonary hypertension and therefore the central pulmonary arteries would enlarge. And then you may see changes in the perfusion of the lungs, basically non-uniform perfusion or mosaic perfusion based on alterations in the normal blood flow. So here's an example of what a chronic pulmonary embolism would look like. You can see a thin linear band in the right lower lobe pulmonary artery. Here it is on the coronal. You just see a thin line. Here's another patient had PE in the past, years ago, and still has these kind of linear filling defects, basically chronic pulmonary embolism. Remember that incidental pulmonary emboli are common. This was a study from 1998. This is when they were still looking at film. They looked at 785 patients and four radiologists, and basically they were reviewing these for routine chest to see how often they found an incidental PE. Half of the, pa uh, the radiologists looked on the workstation, the other half looked on film. And what they found then, they graded definite PE, definite, definitely negative PE, and then they compared that with VQ, Doppler, or angiograms that were performed. And what they found was a 1.5% of patients had unsuspected PE. It was higher in the inpatients than the outpatients. And also it was higher in the cancer patients. So of the 81 patients they looked at with cancer, 9% had PE that was not clinically 
suspected. Also at that time, the radiologists did better on the workstation than on the film, and we all know that today, and we're all using workstations rather than film today. A similar study was done in 2006. This time they were looking specifically at cancer patients, and they were looking for incidental PE, and they found 2.6% of them had incidental PE, which is a little lower than the other study, but you can see in this study they were using 5 to 8 millimeter slices. So that's a little thicker than we use for routine exams. Here's an example of an incidental PE, a patient with pancreatic cancer. You can see a pancreatic duct stent, ascites, pancreatic ductal dilatation, common duct stent, liver metastasis, so extensive infiltrating pancreatic cancer, and there's a subtle defect in the right lower lobe pulmonary artery. In this case, you can see it much easier on the 0.75 millimeter slices than you can on the 5 millimeter slices. There are other tests. I'm not going to discuss much about it. Some people say that you may be able to use MR instead of CT for this indication, and therefore you'd be able to avoid the radiation that's associated with CT. Um, there is some promise promise in using MR. It's a little bit more involved. There's some technical limitations. Here's a study that looked at 118 patients, and they did really well for low bar segmental, not so great for subsegmental pulmonary embolism. In this study, 62 patients with symptoms indicating pulmonary embolism underwent MRI, and they did various protocols for that, and they compared it with a CT scan and they found that the MR was pretty good. Now, the problem with MR is if it's not a pulmonary embolism, you're a little less sensitive for other pathology in the lungs. But some people advocate maybe we should try to use more MRA and try to decrease our radiation dose. So in conclusion, when you take all of our segments together, the clinical signs and symptoms and lab testings are not always that helpful in identifying patients with pulmonary embolism. They may do all of this and still have uncertain clinical probability, so they will often order a study to help them in the diagnosis. So in nowadays, they'll typically order a CT scan. You want to review and optimize your protocol, see what works best for you. Are you going to use a fixed delay? Or are you going to use bolus timing or bolus triggering? And then remember, even though you're making thicker slices for the radiologist to review, three millimeters would probably be as thick as I would go. You may want to consider having a second acquisition. The techs make a second acquisition of the thin slices available for you to look at if you need. Multiplanar reconstructions are very helpful, especially for those branches running obliquely. Clinical suspicion is very important, and you want to encourage your clinicians to actually make a formal clinical assessment with the well score instead of just guessing who they think has a PE. And remember, incidental PEs are not uncommon, especially in the oncology patient. So be on the lookout in the lung bases, especially in patients with cancer. Also, you may want to consider adding the CTV. We don't do it at Hopkins or other institutions that think it's very helpful. That means they scan the veins of the pelvis and the legs after they scan the chest. And then consider in the future, MR may play a larger role in this for this clinical indication. Thank you.